What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Welcome in to another Baseball America Top 10 Prospects podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We are here to break down the New York Mets farm system today. And to do that, we are joined by our executive editor and longtime Mets Top 30 author, Matt Eddy. Matt, thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, Kyle. My pleasure. Matt, the Mets entered last year with enormous expectations. They had the most expensive roster in Major League Baseball history, the highest opening day payroll in Major League Baseball history. And by the All-Star break, things had fallen apart. They tore down at the All-Star break, trading Max Scherzer, trading Justin Verlander, trading a few other players as well, David Robertson, etc. And they finished last year 75-87. and On the heels of that, there's been a lot of change. The Mets hired David Stearns to be their new president of baseball operations. Manager Buck Showalter was forced to resign. General Manager Billy Epler resigned shortly thereafter. And there have been a couple of other changes as well. Chris Gross was recently brought in from the Astros to be the Mets' new VP of scouting. There's a lot of change going on in the Mets organization right now on the heels of last year's season. When you kind of look at what it all means, both for the short term and the long term, how do you assess all the change in the Mets' front office? Yeah, I think the uh, Mets plans for 2024 began at the 2023 deadline with the trades of Scherzer and Verlander and importing um, some of the some other top prospects who are closer to the major league level. Um, and then hiring David Stearns as president of baseball ops kind of kicks it off for real. The, the 2024 build. Um, the, the Mets have lacked discipline in their decision making i think stearns will help solidify that as they build toward a more sustainable core which they haven't really had in in many many years yeah there's no question they, they've spent a lot of money in recent years since steve cohen took ownership of the team they did win 101 games two years ago so it's not like it has gone completely haywire from the start, but there's no question there's a lot of money paid to a lot of players right now who aren't producing to the level hoped for or expected. Uh, they've handed out some big contracts that ultimately did not work out or help lead the team to where they wanted to go. I do think if you're looking for positives, we did see a couple of Mets top prospects make their way up the system and establish themselves in the majors to some degree. Francisco Alvarez showed some good things, also showed some things he needs to work on, but he got up there, hit 25 home runs as a rookie catcher. You can build off of that. We saw Brett Beatty come up. He started off hot, really fell off, but again, he's got that first taste of the majors now. We'll see if he's able to build off that. Mark Vientos got to the majors too, and most importantly, Kodai Senga, who they brought over from Japan, was not just one of the best rookie pitchers in baseball last year, was one of the best pitchers, period. Uh, they signed him to a five-year deal. He's got four more years left. He's the kind of guy you can lean on at the front of a rotation for the next couple of years. So there are certainly some some pieces and players to work with. At the same time, you know, we did see Pete Alonso, while he still hit 46 home runs, kind of took a step back in terms of his overall hitting ability. Francisco Lindor continues to do some good things, but the contract he signed for, he has not lived up to that. Starling Marte took a step back as he entered his mid-30s. Um, Brandon Nimmo is still solid, had a really good year, but 
there are a lot of players in this roster who have underperformed. And you look at the overall pitching depth that certainly is lacking. How far away are the Mets from truly contending, especially after they kind of decided to take a step back and maybe build a little more with an eye on the future here last year? I think, you know, given the contracts they've committed to players like Lindor, uh, Nimmo, Edwin Diaz, you, you have to play somewhat short term. So I would think that if this prospect group who's going to debut in 2024 pans out, I think 2025 is realistic to be more than just like a, you know, a wild card one and done type of team. Yeah, that, that's an interesting point. You mentioned this farm system, this group of prospects. If they debut and things go well, we could see 2025. And I want to dive into that system a little bit because this is an important group for the franchises, not just long-term future, but short-term future, especially given some of the sell trades they made to enhance their farm system. Matt, as you were putting the system together, you had a couple of really interesting options at number one. Jet Williams, their first round pick in 2022, got up to double A in his first full season. Uh, impressive debut all around. You have guys like Ronnie Mauricio who have been around for a while and made his major league debut last year. And also some key guys who were acquired in last year's trades, Drew Gilbert and Ryan Clifford, who came over in the Justin Verlander deal. Luis Angel Acuna, who came over in the Max Scherzer deal. Ultimately, Jet Williams settled in as the number one prospect in the organization. How much of a gap was there between him and some of these other players? Was it clear cut number one based on your reporting? Kind of take us through the process and, and, how much of a number one prospect was Jet Williams compared maybe to the rest of the field? Yeah, I, I struggled with the question, um, but to the Mets personnel I spoke with, it was clear that Williams was their top prospect. Um, this was kind of similar to the lost 2020 season when there was also kind of a, a flux at the top of the, of the prospect uh, hierarchy. And the feedback at that time was Francisco Alvarez is the guy who's the clear number one. So it reminded me of that situation where you had a lot of guys of seemingly similar talent, but your organization preferring Williams, you know, Mauricio did reach the major leagues. Uh, he has never, he does some things well, you know, hits for power and has shown some defensive versatility. Uh, the hitting and on base ability, very much an open question. Uh, but you know, batting sixth or seventh, if, as he did a lot as a rookie, it won't matter to that degree, to the same degree. Yeah, in terms of Jet Williams' long-term potential, what level of player does he project to be? Are we talking about a solid everyday guy? Is there a sense he could be an all-star? What's the long-term potential here for Jet Williams if everything clicks? Um, above average regular, possible all-star. But, I, you know, at, at this point, probably not like a perennial type of all-star kind of guy. Yeah, what really stood out was his patience and his plate discipline um, as he ascended three levels. The overall like pure hitting ability at times was inconsistent. Um, it wasn't great early on, but he was a rookie in his first full season playing in the Florida State League, got up to Brooklyn and hit really, really well, finished the year with the short stint at Binghamton. How much of his hitting ability is his on-base skills versus pure contact? Yeah, I think it's... Yeah, I think, you know, swing decisions are obviously excellent, uh, but he, you know, he just rarely swings and misses. So if he gets, you know, if he's swinging at the right pitches and, and making the hard contact, I think he's a pretty safe bet to hit, hit high average, high on base, top of the order type of batting profile. 
Yeah, and he's a really good athlete. He saw most of his time at shortstop last year. He also saw a good chunk of games in center field. Um, the shortstop play does need to clean up a little bit. 23 errors in 92 games there. Long-term, where does he fit positionally, especially given you have Francisco Lindor at short and Brendan Nimmo in center field, kind of his two positions locked up for a long for the long term? Um, I think there's a sense that center field might be his best position, you know, with Nimmo sliding to left. Um, like, as you say, he didn't have, he, he did split his time between short and center um, in, in high school and didn't come into pro ball as like an especially polished defender. And I think that's still apparent. I think the, the sense is that he could get to average if he continues to work at it. But I think, I think center field to take advantage of plus speed um, and he throws pretty well. I think that's the best course. Uh, second base, they seem confident he can pick it up if needed, but the Mets also have a lot of options there as well. Yeah, absolutely. Again, really good full season debut for Jet Williams. I'll be curious to see how quickly he moves to the majors. Again, this is age 19 season last year. Already got up to double A. He's a high school guy. Generally, those guys don't move quickly, but we're seeing teams move guys more aggressively. And, and as you mentioned, we'll see if he makes a 2024 debut and gets his feet wet. But I want to circle back to the players the Mets acquired in the headline deals for Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer at the trade deadline. Obviously, how those players pan out will go a long way toward determining how quickly they're able to get back to contention. Drew Gilbert was a first-round pick. Luis Angel Acuna, a top-10 prospect in the Rangers system and a top-100 prospect overall. And Ryan Clifford was someone who was really, really rising quickly in the Astros system. What were the early reviews on these three, Gilbert, Acuna, and Clifford, as they joined the Mets system last year? Uh, yeah, Drew Gilbert had the best initial run with the Mets, um, playing for the double-A team, helping helping Binghamton reach the Eastern League Finals. Uh, so he had the best run, and he ended up ranking you know, third behind Williams and Mauricio. I think it's more comfortable with his floor being as like an average 50s, maybe a few 55s across the board type of major league player, great makeup, hard worker, uh, all those attributes. Um, and Acuna did not play particularly well coming over from the Texas league, but he, he was on that Binghamton team as well. I think with him, he's got carrying speed and carrying defense, probably at second base. But in terms of, you know, the plate approach probably puts him more as, as a bottom of the order type of player potential regular at second and um clifford had the had the um roughest transition coming from Asheville, a super friendly left-handed power park to brooklyn probably the worst left-handed power park certainly at high a and struggled as a result strikeout rate spiked uh he said he had trouble seeing the ball a little bit from picking the ball up from the outfield signage at Brooklyn. That was an issue, a mitigating factor there. But um, if it clicks, profile power for a corner, good field to hit. Yeah, I want to circle back to Acuna because I think that was the trade that was a surprise, that it was a one-for-one -one deal for Max Scherzer. If you had told me that they traded Max Scherzer, they got Luis Angel Acuna and a couple of other players, I would have said, okay, I can see that. The fact that it was a one-for-one -one deal certainly raised my eyebrows, and um, I, I did kind of get a little bit of a chuckle how after the deal you kind of saw a lot of Mets beat writers saying, oh, he gets compared to Ozzy Albies. That was clearly something being fed mm -hmm. from Mets officials because that is not who he comps to. He's just not that level of player. He's, I get what they're saying, that he's a shorter, twitchier athlete, and you can kind of say, okay, he's a little guy with a big swing, which Albies has as well, but 
it's it's a very different caliber of hitter. And that that little guy with a big swing really jumped out in the fall league. Uh, when I saw him, it, it's like a lot of the values have talked about that. Like you said, it probably is more of a bottom of the order type. I've always kind of seen him more as a potential utility type than an everyday starter. What's the overall assessment of of what he can be? You mentioned the Mets have a lot of second base options. That's probably his best position, though he can stand it short if needed. Uh, what overall is is the expectation, a realistic expectation for for Luis Angel Acuna? Because a perennial All Star who gets MVP votes like Ozzy Albies is not something no. anyone has really ever seen. No, I've never heard that, and I agree. That's not not, not where I would go with the comp. Um, yeah, I think starting second baseman, you know, seven, you know, eight nine hitter is probably like, especially in the short term, is the best case example, you know, but he does have carrying speed, which is an element the Mets are not particularly strong in on the major league team. Um, potential utility, just depending on how second base, third base shake out, because you have, you have Beatty, you have Mauricio as options at those positions, careers, you know, <laughs> career outcomes to be determined. Um, yeah, you know, Scherzer had, um, you know, watching his starts with the Mets, he had given up like what? He, 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 his slider had become hittable. He was not the same pitcher as he was in the past. So to me, like with the money attached to him, the trade value was was way down. Yeah, again, I think it's just about having reasonable expectations for Luis Angel Acuna. Again, I think some people are going to see one-for-one one trade for Max Scherzer and expect the world, and I think it's important to – modify those expectations and say, okay, an eight hitter who still has a lot of bases, provides some occasional power, can play both middle infield spots. There's value there that that can be a good player, but I think expecting him to be Ozzy Albies is not fair to him nor matches up with anything any evaluator has really seen throughout his career aside from, um, again, a few moments after the trade when, when it was clear someone was trying to, you know, pump him up a little bit. Hmm. Matt, one of the things that jumped out is the top five players in this top 10 are all position players. Um, we've talked a lot about the Mets and their pitching and how there's been a, a lack of organizational pitch in depth, which is part of what hurt them last year when, when Scherzer and Verlander were hurt early. Um, they just didn't have many options they could call up and, and get reliable, consistent innings from. I want to dive into the pitchers with you a little more after the break, but when you look at these position players, it seems like it's indicative overall that the Mets, this is still the strength of the scouting and player development group. Um, seven of the top 10 are position players. The top five are all position players. Um, is it fair to say that this is a very position player heavy prospect group overall when you look at the best players in this organization? It is. And, you know, a lot of a lot of their trades centered on um, position players as well this year. I think, I think they've attempted to build pitching depth through the draft, these past three draft classes. And this next season in 2025 will be telling on how much progress they've made on that front. Absolutely. All right, Matt. Well, I want to dive into some of the pitchers in the system. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll look at the rest of the Mets top 10. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. 
What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to the Mets Top 10 Prospects Podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer alongside Matt Eddy. All right, Matt, before the break, we discuss the top half of this top 10, all of whom are position players, a couple of top draft picks, guys acquired in trades, a big international signing, Ronnie Mauricio, sort of guys who came from, from all avenues. When you look at this second half, we talked about this is a very position player heavy prospect group. Um, but you do start to see some of the pitchers, and the top-ranked pitcher in this organization is Christian Scott. I have the fifth-round pick out of Florida in 2021, uh, was mostly a reliever in college. And then the Mets turned him into a starter, slowly got his workload up, and then he really, really blossomed last year, um, finished the year at A, and uh, great strikeout-to-walk ratio. Really, really stood out how he did not walk many bears at all while missing a lot of bats. Take us through Christian Scott's development and, and ultimately what makes him the best pitching prospect in this system. Well, um, to, to answer your second part of your question, a lot of it's just lack of alternatives. I think, <laughs> you know, with with Scott's development, I'm, I'm not trying to sell him short. I think, you know, best case, he's a number three profile. You know, if, if, he, if he's capable of you know, showing the durability and endurance that required of that level of starting pitcher. But, you know, he drafted as a reliever, mostly a sinker uh, slider reliever at Florida. Uh, the Mets have had him focus on a four-seamer. He's picked up a, a split changeup grip. He's added a sweeper this offseason. So he, he takes to things very quickly and throws strikes. Um, so the, the the question will be just seeing if seeing if the stuff will play against major league hitters. If it does, they'll have a successful major league starter in Christian Scott. Yeah, I mean, we, we talk about the ability to pick things up quickly and, and adapt to new roles quickly. 107 strikeouts against only 12 walks all of last year. 2.57 yeah. ERA got up to double A, and, and most of that was at double A. It's not like he did most of his damage against a ball hitters as a collegiate and then got hit hard once he got up to start facing guys who are more age appropriate. He really, really excelled against age appropriate hitters in double A. He is a little bit older and you mentioned his career high innings is 87 and two thirds, which is what he accomplished last year in order to be uh, even a back rotation starter. You really need to get up into that 130, 140 range. And as you mentioned, you know, number three potential, now you're talking 150, 160, 170. What is the level of confidence the Mets have that he will be able to hold this stuff over longer outings and continue to build up and, and be that kind of steady, reliable mid to back rotation starter who can take the ball every fifth day and, and give you six quality innings, start in, start out? Uh, it depends who you talk to. I mean, 
some people would be very would be very bullish on that outcome becoming a reality i think i think maybe the most important thing to to note with scott is that he will be the first pitcher called up if he's healthy and effective this year and he'll be he'll be the first one to get the spot start if it comes up Two other pitchers in this top 10, Blade Tidwell and Mike Vassell, uh, two guys whose names are, are fairly well known in terms of the Mets farm system. Uh, both of them have certainly had some pedigree. Um, what kind of seasons did they have in terms of development and what is their outlook moving forward now? Yeah, uh, Tidwell came into pro ball, pretty electric fastball slider combination. The key for him is you know he tends to scatter the zone. So he's... His control is shaky, especially early on last year in 2023, but he got stronger as the season went on, got more confidence in his changeup, which he actually used, I think, I want to say 12% of the time, a pretty high amount to the point where it's become a legitimate pitch, which has helped him. I think I think opinion still split starter reliever. Uh, I think there's potential closer potential with Tidwell if he doesn't start, but if he can refine the control slightly he does have you know number four type upside in the rotation one guy that i i wanted to dive in a little more is, is mike vassal because he's someone who was a highly touted recruit out of high school ends up going to college fell a little bit in the draft but he had a really really strong season last year what's the long-term outlook for for him because he's someone that with the performance he delivered there's a sense that, you know, he's someone who could help the Mets in some form or fashion here fairly soon. Yeah, I agree. I, and as we saw this year, it's so difficult to evaluate AAA because of the ABS. I think you look at Vassal's walk rate between AA and AAA, and it's night and day. He just had trouble getting the high strikes called. And as a result, uh, AAA hitters were able to kind of shrink the zone on him. Um, but I think, yeah, I think he's notable more for having a wide repertoire. Uh, he's built up his velocity a little bit in pro ball and ability to hold it. I don't think there's a true knockout pitch. I think a slider is his best pitch. Um, so I think you're looking more four or five type of arm, but somebody with a lot of proximity. Matt, one of the players that there were high expectations for coming into this year was Kevin Prada, the Mets first round pick in 2022. There was always a lot of question about whether or not he'd catch, but there was a lot of confidence about the bat. And he went out this year in his first full season and just frankly did not have a very good offensive season. Uh, had under 250. The strikeout to walk was very, very concerning. And he finished the year in the Arizona Fall League and, and really, really struggled there as well. He was a top 100 prospect for us at Baseball America, fell out pretty handily um the scouting reports were not great the production was not great what is kevin Pareda's status right now here after his first full season well um he's going to have to improve the throwing and the framing and the receiving to stick a catcher or improve his bat to be viable at um a secondary position first base um some rival scouts want to see him in second base see what it looks like but you know as you mentioned one or the other has to improve for him to have a positive major league outlook what went wrong as a hitter this year because again that's something that there was a lot of confidence about the strikeout to walk was fine in college hit for average hit for power there was 
a lot of confidence he'd hit and he just didn't this year. What went wrong? Um, I know, I know a lot of people don't love the setup. He kind of, kind of puts the bat back behind his, his back before he starts his load. Um, that could be a contributing factor. I think also he did pretty well until he made it to double a, he also had an ankle injury around sometime around that point in the season. And, you know, the parks that the Mets play in are super pitcher friendly in class a. So I think you have a lot of contributing factors, but I do agree with you that it did not meet expectations of where he was drafted. Yeah, I think seeing how he bounces back is going to be one of the more interesting subplots of the 2024 season for the Mets in terms of what's going on in their farm system. Because um, if he can get back to being the hitter he was expected to be, that's a, a really, really valuable player that you can see helping your big league team. But um, if he's not able to, then you're looking at a, a top half of the first round pick that falls short of expectations, which is just not something that helps your long-term outlook. Matt, as you put together this top 10, how many other players were in consideration for these final few spots? How many players would you say overall were in the mix to be in the top 10? I viewed it as a fairly defined top 10 group. Obviously, you can make some arguments for um, uh, some of the pitchers they've drafted, Brandon Sprout or um, Dominic Hamill, players like that at number 10 rather than Parada. I decided to give Parada one more chance to see if he can iron some things out in 2024 before writing him off. Because you yeah, know, because he, he had pedigree in high school and in college, it just didn't work this year. And see if he can make some adjustments to make it work. Yeah, you mentioned Sproat and Hamill again. We've talked about the Mets. While this is a very position player heavy organization, they have a lot of pitchers who have some name recognition, were high draft picks, you know, have some pedigree. What did you see from them and ultimately maybe what's the step they need to take to get into the top 10, Sproat and Hamill specifically? Um, let's see. You know, Hamill's 24 and finished in double A. Uh, he's, he's knocking on the door. He'll probably get a look. I think the concern is is not having like a bona fide third pitch. I think he's working on some um, sweeper and, and change up variations to kind of get that third pitch because he's always had that swing and miss fastball from the from the low angle and Sproat didn't pitch after he signed but has you know tremendous athletic ability velocity um, sharpening the breaking ball would be the number one goal for him absolutely yeah and again I, there, there are certainly some players here particularly on the pitching side that you can see helping the Mets but is it fair to say it's mostly going to be in kind of the back of the rotation type of role that that outside of Christian Scott, there's no one who maybe fits a mid rotation or higher potential ceiling. Uh, for the most part, they, they really like what they saw from uh, third rounder Nolan McLean after the draft is he was a two way player in college, uh, focusing mostly on pitching. They say let him DH a little bit next year, but they really like the stuff in like a bullpen instructional setting the question is, can he control the ball and can he hold up? Because he hasn't done those in college yet, but they like the raw ingredients quite a bit. Yeah, absolutely. I, again, there, there's pieces to work with here. And like you said, I think that as bad as last season went, you can see a scenario where the Mets get some contributions from some young players who got their feet wet in 2024, and maybe they're able to uh, return to contention in 2025. Matt, obviously there's been a lot of focus paid on this organization since Steve Cohen took over. 
his grand proclamations of, you know, becoming a, a perennial power who reaches a World Series within a few years. How realistic is it that this team can can meet his expectations in the timeline he set out when he became the owner that that they'll be in a World Series anytime soon? Uh, I would say low um, as much because of just the way the playoffs seem to work now with this expanded field. <laughs> it just seems completely randomized with this new playoff format. Maybe it's just an aberration these two years, but it's it's virtually unpredictable. <laughs> That's fair. I guess a, a different way to say it is how long until they're a World Series caliber team? Ah, uh, well... Uh, best case 2026 in that range you know because you, you and if it doesn't work by then you have to think about trading off the veterans you know because you'll have a, a core of young players that will have come up and you'll have an expensive group still there so yeah, yeah. It just goes back to, you know, when when Steve Cohen bought the team, he said, uh, if I don't win a World Series in the next three to five years, then obviously I would consider that slightly disappointing. I'm not in this to be mediocre. I want something great. So meeting that timeline of, of winning a World Series in three to five years, just given the overall talent that the Mets have, when you look at what's the majors, what's in the farm system, what they need and how long it's going to take, um, you know, 2026 obviously falls outside that time window. So We'll see what happens. You know, crazier things have, have certainly happened, and the Mets have the financial resources to to take some big swings for sure. But um, it will be interesting to see just what they do in terms of the new regime led by David Stearns, whether they take a longer-term, more sustainable build, or if they try and go make those additions right away to try and meet that timeline. Matt, any final thoughts here uh, as we wrap up the Mets Top 10 Prospects podcast? No, I think you hit on the, the high notes. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Well, uh, we, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate your insight as always. Thank you, Kyle. All right, everyone. That'll do it for another Baseball America Top 10 Prospects podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Matt Eddy, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Have a good one. Mm-hmm.